chapter number 6 here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord teaches us to pray. And we've been looking here at the model prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer, and I've slipped up the last two or three times that I've mentioned it and said Lord's Prayer. It is the model prayer. Lord's Prayer is in John 17. You'll read his prayer, that's John 17. Uh, this is him teaching us how to pray here in Matthew chapter 6. It is the model that he has given for us on how we are to pray. Now, as we've already mentioned, there's nothing wrong with praying this, because we can pray scripture and, and, and encourage to do that. There's nothing wrong with praying these very words here in prayer, although they should not be a form for us to simply pray uh, to, to as, as our usual prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying the scriptures, but it ought to have an application to what we're talking to the Lord about when we pray his scriptures. So there's nothing wrong with praying the actual scriptures themselves here, but this is not, this is not uh, the prayer necessarily that the Lord is saying, pray this, but rather how to pray. This is the things that need to be in our prayer. And we read that there beginning in verse number Nine, he says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've been looking at each phrase over these last two or three weeks. We've been looking at each phrase of this particular prayer and what the Lord is telling us should be in our prayers. And we looked at the at our Father and hallowed be thy name. And Wednesday we looked at thy kingdom come. And today we're going to look at this next phrase, thy will be done. Thy will be done in, in earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. God is absolutely sovereign. And I am so thankful that he is absolutely sovereign. I'm so thankful that my God rules and reigns over everything. That it all belongs to him. That his power exceeds every other power. Uh, that he does as he wills in his creation and accomplishes his purposes on every hand. He is absolutely sovereign. The sovereign God. He rules and reigns. And the Bible is unequivocal about that. I mean, we can find scripture upon scripture upon scripture that speaks to this reality, that God's will is done, and it's done according to His purpose, according to what He has established, according to His thoughts. Even this morning, as we look there in Isaiah 55, His thoughts are not our thoughts, His ways are not our ways. His, His word will not return unto Him void. He will do, He says it will do what He sets it to do. It will accomplish exactly what He sets for it to accomplish it. And so this, this spurs, because of this reality of his sovereignty, this spurs a, a debate, and it is rather a long-lasting debate in regards to our prayers. Because God is sovereign, because he does rule and reign, because his will is that which is done, 
there are those that struggle with the idea of prayer then. Well, what good is our prayer? If God's going to do it, He's going to do it the way He's going to do it. If He's already got established what He's going to do, then what use is it then for us to pray? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of struggle and debate for that matter on whether or not prayer is useful at all. Does prayer really make sense? Should we pray? Does it matter if we pray? Does it in any way influence the will of God if we pray? Or does it bring us into compliance with His will? Uh, James Boyce, in one of his books, he related the story of George Whitfield and John Wesley preaching together in the same revival. And these two men were both, they were opposites on grace. Uh, Whitfield, George Whitfield was very much a Calvinist. Uh, John Wesley was very much an Arminian. And they, they would argue back and forth, debate this, write letters to one another, but they preached together in several places. They were friends. In fact, at this particular time, the, the story that James Boyce relates to us here, these two men were actually staying in the, sleeping in the same bed in, a, in a, uh, an inn. And they were preaching at this, this revival together. And they, they come back home one evening to pray. And uh, let me jump in here. I've already given you some of the details about who they were. Uh, it says they were preaching together in the daytime and rooming together in the same boarding house each night, in fact, sleeping in the same bed. And one evening after a particularly strenuous day, the two of them returned to the boarding house, exhausted, exhausted rather, and prepared for bed. And when they were ready, each knelt beside the bed to pray. Whitfield with Calvinists prayed like this, Lord, we thank Thee for all those with whom we spoke today, and we rejoice that their lives and destinies are entirely in thy hand. Honor our efforts according to thy perfect will. Amen. He rose from his knees. He got into bed. Wesley, who had hardly, had hardly gotten past the invocation of his prayer in the length of time, looked up from his bed, side of the bed and said, Mr. Whitfield, is this where your Calvinism leads you? Then he put his head down and went on praying. Whitfield stayed in bed and went to sleep. About two hours later, Whitfield woke up and there was Wesley still on his knees beside the bed. So Whitfield got up and went around the bed where Wesley was kneeling. And when he got where he found Wesley, where he got, when he got there, he found Wesley asleep. And he shook him by the shoulder and said to him, Mr. Wesley, is this where your Arminianism leads you? <laughs> So this, this, this reality of God's sovereignty uh, has been a debate for a long time about what, what, what good then or what purpose then is our prayers and is there a purpose at all? Well, God being absolutely sovereign knowing exactly what he's going to do here and there, what he has planned and what he has purposed. Isaiah 46 tells us that his will is going to be done. We read this morning, Isaiah 55, his purpose is going to be accomplished with his word. He's going to do exactly what he is set to do. He knows exactly what will take place. 
He rules and reigns over it all. He knows what He's going to do in every scenario. In every, not just in the big things of life, but even in the smallest details of ours. He knows exactly what He's going to do. He is in charge. He is sovereign. And yet, in His sovereignty, He commands us to exercise our responsibility in our following after Him. And one of those responsibilities that He has given us, pray. Pray. He says even pray without ceasing. Pray. That's the command He has given us. Now, if God did not act in response to our prayer, then yes, the command to pray would be pointless. But that's, that's part of the remarkable wonder of God's sovereignty in our lives is that He has chosen, He has chosen in His ruling and reigning to bring us in to participate in the accomplishing of His will, not that we're going to accomplish it for Him, but that He is enjoining us with Him in it that we would pray and He would answer our prayers accomplishing the perfect will that He has set forth to accomplish. That He has allowed us to have a part in that. Not by any force or any power or any strength on us, but simply because He has put these things on our hearts. He has put these burdens in our path. He has put these things upon our hearts and minds and told us those petitions you have, you bring to me, you lay them before my throne, and I'll hear you and I'll answer you. And then in hearing and answering us, Him working out. Now again, it's not always yes that He answers. That's not always the answer. As we look this morning, even there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he answered Paul, no. I'm not going to do that, Paul. I'm not going to do that. But even in, even in him answering and working his will in our lives, even those no's we receive from him have an impact on our lives and change us to be made more like Christ. And so He has commanded us to pray. And, and He answers it. His, His response to our prayer is indeed a part of what He works for us. And so, should we pray? Does our prayer have an impact? Yes, pray. It has an impact not because of who we are, but because of who God is and because God says pray. And so we pray. We bring Him our petitions. We bring Him our praise. We bring Him our prayers before His throne. He hears and even answers our prayer. And, so, and, and many times, even answering, yes. Yes, I will do that. Now, I don't mean to fully resolve this, this debate or this question uh, tonight, uh, but to simply believe and act on what God commands us about prayer. He says, pray. And so we pray. We pray. And when we pray, we are commanded to pray in accord with His will. Now where do we find out His will? 
right here in his word. Now, you may say, well, I know what he says here, but I don't know how his will works out in this particular scenario of my life. So what do I do there? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Now that doesn't mean we don't pray what we desire there. He tells us to do that. And so we've got, there's a particular desire. That's the reason we have the petition to begin with. Is there something we want God to do in it? It's not just that we're bringing these requests to Him and say, Lord, this is a problem here. Do something. You know, that's not what we do. We have, we have a particular problem. We have a particular petition. We have something that's on our hearts. We have, a, we have something that we desire to see done in that. We have, a, we have a response that we desire to see God work. We desire to see Him do, answer according to what we want in that. And so if, it, if what we want is in accordance with what His Word declares, then we can say... This is what I want, Lord. Now, if what you want is contrary to this, I can already tell you what your answer is going to be. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I can already tell you, if it's, in, if it's in contradiction with this, then He's not going to give you the answer you're looking for. Right? And so we need to make sure when we pray that we are praying according to what He has declared. That we need to pray according to what His Word declares to us, His will, His purpose that's given for us in His Word. But in those particular scenarios, in those particular situations that are not contrary to His Word, but whether He answers yes or whether He answers no is entirely up to Him, but we still say, Lord, this is what I desire to see. Lord, this is what's on my heart. This is how I want you to answer this, Lord. Lord, this is, this, is my, this is my petition, this is my prayer in this. But knowing thy will be done. Thy will be done. Now, he also tells us to come in faith when we bring these prayers. When we bring these prayers. We are to come in faith, believing God for those answers. Now, he says he's a good father. He's proven that to me many, many times. He's proven that reality. He is, he is a good father. There's none better. And he says, being good father, I'm going to give my children good gifts. I'm going to give my children good gifts. And so he says, tell him exactly what you desire in that. Tell him, pray, faith believing. And with importunity. That's a big word that the Bible uses. And that word importunity simply means you hang on until he gives you an answer. Which my favorite example of that is Jacob wrestling with the Lord there at night at Bethel. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. It, it, Jacob didn't even know who he was wrestling with at that point. 
But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then that, after he re recognized who he was that he was, who was wrestling with, he said, uh, I have seen the face of the Lord, and yet I live. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the Lord says, that's how we're to come to him in prayer. That's what he means when, when Paul says there in 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray without ceasing. That's what he's telling us there, that we are to hang on. We're to hang on with importunity, seeking the Lord's direction. That's that faith that he's calling us to bring into our prayers. Now, go over to John 4 and look with me here in verse number 34. That was a whole lot to say in my introduction there, so I've got to hurry. <laughs> John chapter 4, verse number 34. The Lord says here, Jesus saith uh, unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. His will is to become our will. We are praying his will to prevail over the earth. When we say, thy will be done, just as it does in heaven, it is our desire that it is also done on this earth. And so it is to be our attitude that when our will does not match up with God's will, that our willer is changed. That it will be in accordance with His will. Nevertheless, as the Lord prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Thy will be done. That should be our attitude. That should be the desire of our hearts. Because we recognize, even in praying, in faith believing, even in bringing those petitions before our Lord, even when we know what it is that we desire to get from that prayer, what we desire from that petition, we know that God's purpose, God's will, His way, His thoughts are higher than ours. And He knows more about the situation than we do. He knows more about what comes tomorrow than what you and I do. He knows what His purpose is in it already and what He's going to work out in it for us yet future. And so though we have a desire in it, we yield ourselves, we submit ourselves to His will and His purpose knowing that the, the, the wants of us in the situation are not perfect. But His way, His, His way, His will is always perfect. And it will be exactly what He wants to work out and it will be exactly according to our good for us. When we follow His will. So that's the reason even when we have our desire, we have to recognize we are submitting in faith, believing, knowing God's will is best. And so if my will is with your will, Father, amen. And if my will is not with your will, amen. Thy will be done. Thy will be done.
And so that's, that's, that needs to be our attitude when we go to His throne, when we come before Him to pray. Now, that this, this argument about God's sovereignty has, has caused a lot of misconceptions in how people approach prayer. Uh, one way is produces a resentment in the prayee because they see the will of God as an imposition to them. I know what your will is in this, Lord, but it's not what I want. I want it another way. And so they look at God as a divine dictator working out His sovereign selfish will and sidestepping ours. And so they pray because they think they have to. Well, God says to do it, so we're going to do it, but we're not going to be able to escape the fact His will is inevitable. Now, first of all, that's not how God tells us to pray. And it's not even how He relates to us, His people. We're not just pawns. We're not just pawns in our Father's working in His universe. That's not how He deals with us. But rather in His wondrous grace, He has made us participants in the working of His will and purpose in this world. To accomplish His will in our lives, He's allowed us to take part in it with Him that we can pray and our prayers have an effect in His working out these things in our lives and in the lives of others. And so it's, if we're looking at it simply from Him, well, He's going to do what He's going to do and, and I, well, we just pray because He says pray. You're, you're missing a wondrous blessing in what God has, has enjoined us to in bringing our prayers and our petitions before his throne. William Barclay, he wrote concerning this, he said, A man may say, Thy will be done, in a tone of defeated resignation. He may say it not because he wishes to say it, but because he has accepted the fact that he cannot possibly say anything else. He may say it because he has accepted the fact that God is too strong for him and that it is useless to batter his head against the walls of the universe. But what does Jesus say? Pray with importunity. Hang on. Hang on. Pray without ceasing. Hang on until he blesses you. Is what he tells, this is exactly what he tells us to do. Hang on until he blesses you. He's going to hear you. If the unjust judge will hear the widow, if, 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 the, if, if he will hear her, and simply because of her continued beating against him to do something about it, if that unjust judge will do something in, for that widow, how much more will the heavenly Father that is in control of all great blessings poured out upon us every single day, how much more is he going to give us? 
How much more is he going to hear us when we pray? Especially when he says, pray. Pray with importunity. Pray without ceasing. Another problem that occurs is a, a passive resignation to the Father's will. They don't necessarily resent His will. They view Him as their loving, caring Father who has only their best in mind. Yet they are resigned to the inevitable, unchangeable, and irresistible force in their lives. And this, they believe their prayers are useless. They pray, Thy will be done, because they're commanded to, but God's going to do what He's going to do. He's going to accomplish His will, and I praise Him for His will, but there's no reason to be praying. Too many believers have weak prayer lives because they don't believe their prayers make a difference before the throne of God. And God tells us they do. They do. Because it's how he's worked it out for us to participate with him in it. In our prayers. They mean so much to him that John has a vision in the vision of the revelation there. He, he, he describes them coming out and pouring out that vial of tears before the throne of God that was the prayers of the saints. And those things are presented there before God of those, the suffering of the saints that were on the earth at the time during the tribulation. And they're pouring those out before his throne. They mean, they mean everything to him. Our communion with our God before his throne means something to him. It's not just a command for us to do and God checking the box. Okay, they pray. That's not what it's about. It's about us communing with our God at his very throne. Telling him the hurts and the needs that are on our hearts and him hearing us and intervening in our lives to bring to pass his purpose and his will to accomplish even the very thing we ask of him. How many times? How many times has he answered your prayers? And exactly as you presented them, exactly as you brought them before him, and he answers them. How many times has he answered your prayers in a way that maybe you weren't asking, but you see after he answered, yes. Man, I'm glad you answered it that way, Lord. How many times has he proven himself over and over and over and over again of his faithfulness to us, his people, when we come in and commune before his throne to bring to him our prayers and our petitions, your prayers mean something to the Father. They are important to him. Bring them. Bring them before his throne. Notice Acts chapter 12. 
Acts chapter number 12. And look with me here in this passage. This morning we were reading about James and John wanting to be on the right hand and on the left hand of the Lord. And they, Jesus tells them, you don't know what cup I'm about to drink from. Are you able to drink from that cup? James finds out what that cup is. And here James finds out a little bit about what that cup is. And here James is killed by the sword. Herod has him killed. There in the first part of chapter 12. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, verse 2. And he took Peter also. And Peter was in prison. And he sought to put him to death uh, after the days of unleavened bread. Uh, so he's going to let the, 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 uh, um, the feast, feast days pass first. And then he's going he's to bring Peter forward and, and have him killed because the Jews had a wonderful time with the fact that he's killing these disciples of Jesus. And so Peter's under arrest, knowing he's got to be put to death. And while he was in prison there, the church there at Jerusalem uh, made prayer. It says, verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And they were praying, and they were praying, and they were praying that God would deliver Peter. Now the remarkable part about this is they didn't really believe their prayers. They were doing what God told them to do. They were praying without ceasing. And they were praying that God would deliver Peter. But they didn't believe that God was going to deliver Peter. But they continued praying. And I love the story here. Peter's bound up in the inner part of the prison there. Let's just read it there. It's, it, to me, it's comical when the, these things that God works here. It says it, verse 6 says, When Peter would have brought him forth, or when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. <laughs> Peter sleeps like I do. He has to be beat awake. <laughs> okay. So he, he hits him to wake him up. His chain stands up. Peter's chains fall off. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. So Peter still ain't awake. Okay, he's sleepwalking. Getting out of the getting out of the prison. It says, When they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, I mean the angel let, got him out of the prison, got him down the street, and Peter wakes up. Took him that long to get woke up. To realize what had happened. 
And Peter came to himself and says, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of, of, the, people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. So he knocked at the gate to, let the, to be let in. Rhoda comes, here's the gate knock, the rest of them in there praying, praying without ceasing before God that Peter might be delivered. Rhoda hears the knock at the gate. She goes out to answer the gate. She goes out, and, and when she gets out to answer, it says that, uh, uh, verse 14, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. She is so happy to hear Peter was on the other side of the gate. She ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. I mean, she's just so excited. God's answered our prayer. And she immediately didn't even open the gate for Peter, run back in to tell everybody else God's answered our prayer. And what does the church that's been praying without ceasing, what is their answer to this young girl, Rhoda, when she comes in saying this? They said unto her, verse 15, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said thee, it is his angel. Or some say Peter's ghost. No, 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 you don't understand, Rhoda. He's in prison. What do you think we're praying about? That's what we're here praying over. He's in prison. He's not outside the gate. And she said, no, I know, I know he's there. I heard his voice. He's out there. Oh, no, then it's probably his He's dead. He's dead. It's probably his angel or his ghost, if you will, come to tell us that he's died. This is their thinking. Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. Isn't it wondrous? When even we're praying in half faith, God still answers. Even, even when we're praying in no faith, God's still so good to us, He answers. Prayer is not a vain duty to be performed simply because God said to do it. We must pray in faith, believing our prayers do make a difference to God, that they are the means by which God has chosen to commune with our hearts, to offer us that place to come before his throne and talk with the Almighty. That's a wondrous thing that he has afforded for us. Luke 18 and verse number 1. Luke 18 and verse number 1. This is that, that very uh, parable concerning the unjust judge. And you can go read those, those two parables there that the Lord gives there in, in Luke 18. I'm not going to go over those today, but you can 
Go home and read those two concerning prayer there that he speaks of. But he says here in, in verse 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end. This is the reason he's speaking this parable, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That we should always be praying and not faint, not give up. But pray, 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 pray. Hold on. Hold on until he blesses you. In his sovereignty, God has chosen that prayer is essential to the proper working of his will on earth. It's how he allows us to be enjoined with him in that working. Now, the entire course of events circumstances in this world is indeed ordained by God and that includes all uh, allowing uh, uh, includes allowing the, the cause of all life's tragedy sin for instance to see God as ultimate sovereign we must agree that he meant for sin to happen I mean that's that was his plan he already had his elect the scripture tells us before Adam ever sinned in the garden. It was not a correction of what Adam had done. It was already his plan and purpose. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that. And so we, we, we know that he has allowed sin to take place. He allowed it to happen. He is not the author of it. He is not the author of it. He is not the one that caused it to take place. He allowed it to take place. And in his allowance for it, he planned for it. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what he knew what he is accomplishing by allowing it. But at the same time, he's not the father of it. First John chapter one. First John chapter number one. He says there in verse number five. First John one five. This then is the message which ye have heard of him and declare, which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so yes, he allowed sin. He permitted sin to be brought in and it was for his purpose and his will, but he's not the author of it. There's no darkness in him at all. In James chapter 1 and verse number 13, he says here, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So don't blame it on God when you have those temptations brought before you. Don't blame it on God when you sin before him. Don't blame it on him. That's what Adam did. It's this woman you gave me. That's the reason I, I sinned, Lord, because you did this. No, no, no. No, no. If you sin, it's because you chose to sin. You see. It's because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. He did not authorize sin, nor does he condone it. He only permitted it to operate, then overrules the evil of it for his own wise and holy end. And so if you're praying for the will of God to be accomplished, 
You're praying for the will of God to be accomplished. You will reject reject everything that is against it. Everything worldly, everything disobedient, everything wicked, everything unrighteous, we are to actually reject. Let me read you uh, John MacArthur's quote on this particular subject. He says, a part of the right understanding of an attitude towards God's toward God's will, is what might be called a sense of righteous rebellion. To be dedicated to God's will necessitates being opposed to Satan's. To pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to rebel against the notion that sin is normal and inevitable and therefore should be tolerated. No, it's not inevitable. No, it's not to be allowed. It is to be stood against, he says. And so we rebel in prayer. We are rebelling against that notion. When we say, thy will be done, we are rebelling against the worldly notion that wickedness and sin must continue. Because we are praying against then Satan's will. He says, when you are wholly committed to seeing God's will done on earth, you will rebel against the world system of ungodliness. You will renounce all things that dishonor and reject Christ, and you will also confront the disobedience of believers. Impotence in prayer leads us, however unwillingly, to strike a truce with evil. When you accept what is, you abandon a Christian view of God and his plan for redemptive history. Our prayer should rather be, thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. In earth as it is in heaven. We are not to accept sin or the wickedness of this world merely as a sign of the times. Rather, we are to reject it. We are not called to be God's avengers. We are not called to bring to pass His will for Him. That's not what He tells us to do. But we are to pray His will be done. His will to be done. And in His will to be done, we are praying again for Satan's to be undone. For Satan's to be undone. God wants us to come boldly before His throne. To come boldly before His throne, bringing our prayers and our petitions to him. Hebrews chapter 10. Paul writes this here in verse number 19. He says, Having therefore, brethren, having therefore, brethren, boldness. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say His flesh, 
and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Come boldly, He says. Come boldly. Let us come boldly. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He has afforded us that place. He has given us that place to come in before his throne. Do you think, if we thought with, with that reality that he has given us, do you think he said, well, just come because I told you to? No. He's, he's given us that place that we can speak, that we can pour out our hearts to him. To the point that he says even when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit will pray for us. Will intercede for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We have our great high priest seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us when we come in before his throne to bring these petitions. This is not God just showing off with his sovereignty. This is him communing with us, his people, and joining us into the working of his will in this world and in our lives that we can grow in our faith seeing what God does and works in the lives of his people. Don't take this for granted. His will will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. That's something for us to rejoice in. Don't take prayer for granted. Come, pray. Come and pray before his throne. We... In prayer, in prayer, we must abandon our will and conform to His. He tells us in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and verse number 1 and verse 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to strive 
as his people to align our will with his will. Submitting ourselves to him, when we know what God's will on the matter is, we give ourselves to that will. We obey that. We hold to that. We are to conform ourselves to his will. Why does life end up with so many disasters? It's because people resist the will of God. They resist the will of God. We are to be transformed by it. We are to be transformed by it. Submitting ourselves to his will. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Listen. This here again is where we find his will. If our will is different from what he says, I can assure you, you do not have God's will. Submit yourself to his will. Obey his will. Align yourself to his will. And believe him for it. Let's all stand and we'll be dismissed. <laughs>